0: Welcome to the Estate Planning 101 series, an informative podcast brought to you by Discovery. Each episode will guide you through all anyone needs to know about leaving a legacy for their loved ones. It's also an educational tool for you as advisors to help navigate the conversations you have with your clients and to make those more beneficial. I'm your host, Bruce Whitfield. Join me as I chat to leading experts and professionals for insights on all the important components to consider for a well-rounded, hassle-free plan, as well as learning to better understand the human side of it all. After all, estate planning is as much about human lives and all the complexities that go along with it as it is about assets and money. In this episode, I'm joined by Nikki Bush once again, the human potential expert, the speaker and author, as well as Annalena Disipi, the Discovery Certified Financial Advisor. Today, it's all about what-if moments, and none of us ever intends to have a what-if moment. We don't intend to get into the car and take our kids to school and be t-boned by a truck on the way to work. Or we don't intend for our spouse to be killed in a terrible accident or in a violent act. We don't intend to pick up COVID-19 and go to ICU with terrible complications. We don't intend for these things to happen. Unfortunately, they do happen. Maybe not to our us maybe just to other people but can you live with the risk and i think that is what we're talking about today nikki bush is the human potential expert and author let's define the what if moment i've given a couple of horrific examples nikki but as people who've listened to this podcast series so far know you had your own catastrophic what if moment but it's you're not alone unfortunately you're not alone
1: Yes. So two and a half years ago, we had a home invasion and my husband was shot and killed. And it's one of those things that you hope will never happen to you. And when it does, it is such a shock. I think my learning over the past two and a half years has been that loss and change and disruption and what if moments come in many, many different forms. They don't have to be traumatic, but you know, we don't like change generally. We like to be in control, but this disruption makes us feel out of control. And what if moment could be in the form of a loss of your health, a loss of your wealth, loss of a business, loss of a job, loss of a person, as I experienced, loss of a relationship. It could be, say, the loss of a business partner. It could be the loss of your home. And part and parcel of my trauma was that we lost our home in the process as well. It could be the loss of a vehicle. As you say, somebody, you know, T-bones you in your favorite vehicle, you may or may not have been injured. But you know, the inconvenience and the loss that goes with that. And we have to put plans in place and provision in place for those what-if moments, those things that take us by surprise, cause change, and are often a form of what I call external disruption, things we don't ask for. We don't invite them into our lives, but have we protected ourselves in the event that they do happen to us? Because as I experienced, having cover having policies that kicked in at certain times through the wrapping up of my husband's life was extremely, extremely helpful because life is expensive. And it's only when you lose a channel of income that you really start realizing how expensive life is when that income channel gets cut off and you have to substitute either because you can draw from a policy or from savings or that you manage to kick your business into another gear your own income generation into another gear it's all a pretty scary place to be
0: Annalina, let's just get a perspective from you, please. As somebody who is a certified financial advisor, somebody who deals with people in the throes of trauma, I assume on a regular basis, just how well prepared are we as South Africans in general for the what-if moment?
2: That's a very interesting question. And the way I'd like to address it is it all depends. It all depends on the different life stages people are in. For example, if we're talking about young professionals, those are people that are still in the self-discovery stage. Unfortunately, most of our young people believe that they're immune from the what-if moments. They believe they're immune from contracting a chronic disease or being disabled and so forth. So in that space, I would say that the preparedness is not really there. Now, when we move on to the next stage, this is the stage where people are now starting to accumulate assets, where they're starting to build. It may be that we're talking about a young family. Now, this young family will be more concerned about their children, for example, their children's schooling. They want to make sure that their financial dependents are protected if anything happens to them. So the preparedness starts to increase when we start talking about the more mature life stages or the more mature clients. Now we also have people that have accumulated assets. They've worked hard. They've invested in themselves. And now all they're worried about is leaving a legacy behind. And those people usually are more than well prepared, and it's a question of how do they maintain that legacy. So, to answer the question, I really believe that it all depends on the different life stages. And I might just add there that that's why it's also very important for us as advisors to literally be involved in our clients' lives, not necessarily just to meet a client once off, sign them up, give them a policy, and that's the end of the game. You know, we need to move with our clients as they grow, we grow with them.
0: At the same time, it's impossible to insure for every eventuality. And so much of what we come across when we are considering this process of covering ourselves for the multitude of risks that we face in the big, scary world every day, that we could insure ourselves into oblivion and have peace of mind on that particular front, but die of stress because we have to earn the income to cover the insurance premiums. What's a reasonable level of insurance for as many eventualities as possible? Is that a question you could even answer?
2: It's impossible to literally cover everything because it would take for one to know exactly what is going to happen in the future. But we also need to look at protecting ourselves. That's why it's important to do also a financial needs analysis with the advisor to see what the client's needs are and what we can potentially cover now and continuously review the plan because what a client may need today may not necessarily what the client may need tomorrow. So it's our duty as financial planners to then step in and hold our clients by the hand and guide them because we can preach as much as we want. We can try to educate clients as much as we want, but if we don't hold our hands, then it's almost impossible for them to really reach the goals. So I'll say that the responsibility... As much as it lies with the client, it mainly lies with us as advisors. Financial planning is very crucial. It's almost as crucial as having a roof over your head. Because, like Nikki mentioned earlier on, it's easy to lose assets. So what I mean by that is you could be accustomed to a certain lifestyle today. And then an eventuality happens. So a what-if moment happens. If one is not well prepared, that very roof over their head that they've been used to could easily be wiped off if the correct planning was not done. OK, Dicky, take me
0: through your file, your what if file, the thing that is going to put you face to face with the plethora of potential pitfalls. How was that for alliteration? That you could face in a seemingly perfect life, suddenly one or two, or in your case, a multiplicity of what-if moments happen in, in sequence, and you did have precisely that series of events occur to you. So how do you, outside of the insurance realm, in the home realm, brace, brace, brace for danger?
1: Well, I think it's a little bit like building a house, you know, and I think what Annalena said is so correct. You know, I'm just on the other side of 50 now. And I look back at the years with my husband and the different seasons and stages of financial planning that we went through. And I can see how things in retrospect changed as we got older. And I think the most expensive time, certainly as a family, is when your children are all at school and you've got to be aware of things like education. Have you made provision for that what if moment? Should one or both of you not be there? How will your children's education continue to be funded? And now I'm on the other side where my children are almost through their tertiary education and my expenses are starting to drop. And my financial advisor always told me this, that you'll get to a point <laughs> where you start getting money back and you've got money left at the end of the month, which is actually a wonderful place to be.
0: I didn't know that possibility existed. It's a very welcome Notion. <laughs> I'm a long way away from it, but it's a very welcome notion. One day I'll have some for me. <laughs> One
1: day you might be able to redirect the school fees into your pension or you know, things like that. So there's an ebb and a flow. And when you're in the thick of it, when you may be running your own business and you've you've got all these children and you know, family commitments, it is unbelievably expensive. You feel like you're hemorrhaging money, you really do go. Through different periods of demand. So that has to be planned for. And so your premiums are going to be linked to that. And you will go through a period in your life where your premiums are going to be a lot higher because you're buying a lot more cover. And then that starts shifting and changing. I'm in that stage of life where my kids are in their early 20s. My eldest son is on his own medical aid now. And one of the things that's on my what-if list, and we'll get into that now, Bruce, is things like a gap cover policy, because you can't necessarily afford the top-end policy. So you might start looking around for slightly less expensive options, but then please remember to buy yourself a gap cover policy which I have to be honest my eldest son just went in for some major back surgery at the age of 25 and it was not what we were expecting another what if moment and of course I've just had a big slap on the wrist because I didn't have a gap cover policy for him so while I'm paying his medical aid because he's not yet in a a high-paying job. We have a separate policy for him because it's a lot cheaper than him being on my policy. I should really have got a gap cover policy. So let's have a look at the what if file. This is the checklist that I put together when I started wrapping up my husband's life. When I realized that the what if file that I had created prior to his death, four years before his death actually, was insufficient. There were many pieces of the puzzle missing. There are about 43 items on the what if file checklist and most financial advisors look at this and they go, oh my hat, even we, those of us who deal with death on a daily basis or loss, doesn't have to be death, remember I said, could be the loss of a business, a business partner, whatever it is. Most financial advisors themselves do not have all of this in place. They haven't thought of it because we're in that bubble where we think this can't happen to us. And when you receive this list, It will be so scary that you will put it aside and go, I'll deal with this another day. And I can honestly tell you that if you really do tackle this list, it's going to take you two to three days if you're starting from scratch to find the documents, whether they're on your computer or whether they're in a paper file somewhere, to collate all the passwords, the pins, the account numbers, the trusts, the wills, the antenuptial contracts, the divorce agreements. Have you been divorced before? If you have, you better have those to hand. I've had somebody say to me, who phoned me, she had this what-if file from me, the checklist, and she said, I just want to let you know that I had been through your document. I'd done a lot of preparation. But she said the one thing I'd never factored into consideration was that I was going to come face to face with the ex-wife for the first time when my husband died. And she said, my husband has died. And I have, for the first time, met the ex-wife. And I did need a copy of the divorce agreement. I did need proof of children you know the birth certificates and so everything that I've got in this list you will need at some point from organ donor certificates to important medical history for family members and I speak as a mother here I can promise you that if I died my husband would not have been able to pull family medical history out of his head but he would have found it in my what if file. So it's the kind of thing like a, a letter of wishes, which is different to a will. A will is the rollout of the plan of how the money is going to be distributed. It's different to a wish list. The wish list, once again, is very much what a woman would think of. The special jewellery or that special ornament or grandpa's whatever that's been handed down from generation to generation. These are the kinds of things you would put in a letter of wishes. Maybe how you would like your children to be told about death, how you would like the discussion to go. And this sounds really macabre, but If you do actually take the time to collect this information and your thoughts, the upside, the reward is peace of mind while you
0: still live. Let's take a really current possibility. You end up in ICU. You have a ventilator tube stuffed down your throat. You're in and out of consciousness and you're lying there worrying about the stuff that you haven't done. And there is nothing. But nothing you can do about it. Mm. You are completely disempowered. If you end up under a truck, really it's not your problem. But if you do have time to think about these things, it's going to be bloomin' awful playing Mm. on your mind as you may or may not make it through this horrible process.
1: Yes, and that I wish I had. You know, to sit down and put your heart on a page, it is hard. It really is. I remember when my husband and I first drew up wills, we'd become parents for the first time. And we left our son with my parents and we went away. And I remember thinking we better put a will together at this point. And I actually did write a letter of wishes at that point as well. And It was very, very emotional. It was very emotional because it was my thoughts on how I wanted someone to bring my children up should I die. But, you know, it was a great thing because I took my parents through it and they also had peace of mind that they knew what was in my head and what was in my heart. And then we must breathe. We can't live in terror and fear that something's going to happen to us. We have to then say, I've done what I can do, and now I need to really live my life. And we also have to be careful not to... Buy every piece of cover we can and then not have the money to live so it's finding the happy medium and not feeling ill at the end of every month when those payments go off our account and I have to tell you Bruce I'm a real-life example of the fact that I had all these different kinds of policies in place but life happens and we had had to cut back on our premiums on our life insurance About a year before my husband died, we cut back on premiums because life was getting very, very expensive. So we will go through periods where we will cut back or when we will raise our premiums depending on what we can afford. I have to be honest that I was a little bit disappointed when my financial advisor told me what my husband's life insurance payout would be because it was a couple of million short of what I was expecting because I forgot That we had cut back our premiums. So that is part of the reality.
0: Let's just go to the list, please. I mean, are you a little bit gobsmacked by what you're hearing? When you hear Nikki talking about this list of 43 items of such wide diversity and extraordinary measures, are you also quite taken aback by the fact that when you're meeting with people, are you having such a a deep and broad and meaningful discussion and have you stolen Nikki's list from her so that you can now ensure that your clients can get hold of it as well because it just seems such a grotesquely logical thing to have to do.
2: (laughs) I was actually even thinking at the end of this I'm going to ask her to give me a copy of that list because it seems she's done a fantastic job We do look at the what of moments and oftentimes it's easy to forget about addressing certain things. Now, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier on that it is very important for our clients to have a good relationship with their advisors. What I mean by that is as financial planners we need to make sure that we are constantly available when a client has a financial change or a major financial decision that um, they need to make or whatever circumstances that may be happening we should be their first point of call because that's the only way we will be able to advise and ensure that clients have a solid plan now if we are not always present in the client's lives It becomes difficult.
0: But if you are somebody who takes the approach, the the Bush approach, you know what? This is about ensuring that you have peace of mind. Here is the Nicky Bush 40-point checklist to ensure that you are really engaging, not only in what you think, but finding out from your spouse what they really believe. And so often, if you've been married to somebody for 20 years and you kind of think you know what they think, but you have really no idea because they've evolved, you've evolved, and you haven't talked about this sort of stuff since you were dating, it's quite useful to sit down and have these very hard and important conversations. And the list, Nicky Bush, can be the catalyst for that conversation. It may end some marriages, but if this conversation is going to end a marriage, then it's probably time. It's a really important thing because so often, even within families, intimate relationships, people actually don't know their partner's deepest thoughts on matters of life and death.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, Bruce, you raise a very important point, and it speaks to, I guess, the bottom line message that both Annalina and myself are conveying in this interview, and that is that relationship, relationship, relationship. I think financial advisors really need to be actually doing a lot of courses on communication and mediation and negotiation and helping people to dig deep. Because as you say, this checklist could create a wonderful framework for a conversation. Have you considered this? What do you both think about that? Uh, It's a little bit like uh, parenting. You know, you have children, but you don't think about the fact that you might have two very divergent viewpoints on how to raise them. So money is one of those things. It's one of the things that if you're a very successful financial advisor or planner, it's probably because you've mastered the art of communication and drawing people's thoughts and ideas out of them and then being able to plot them into a plan. It's about getting enough information that you can create a picture for people. And I think that this is part of how financial planning needs to change. It almost needs to become storytelling, scenario planning and storytelling, but putting people, real people into their own stories, not to scare them, but to help them to own their own story. I think there's so much talking at people not talking with people, not journeying with them. But, you know, one can fall into the trap of selling a plan, selling a policy and never, ever connecting with somebody again. That's not what we want. In fact, I'll tell you that my kids know that if they can't get hold of me and my son bought a car the other day, a real old skedonk, let me tell you, because that's what he can afford at the moment. And I was not contactable. He knew exactly who to phone who our short-term broker is, he's on WhatsApp with all of us. And he dropped our broker a WhatsApp saying, I purchased a new car today, please make sure I have cover. And I thought that was great. That shows that we trust the broker, that we have a relationship with the broker. In fact, the whole family has a relationship. And I want to give you an analogy here. I often say to teachers, and I'm going to say this to financial advisors and certified financial planners right now.
0: Because they are teachers. I mean, let's be blunt about it. What is your role? Your role is to educate, yeah?
1: Exactly. But I I say to teachers, and I want to say the same thing here to whoever is listening, that a teacher... Your child's teacher has a seat at your dining room table. It's an invisible, Seat, you know, we speak to our kids at the dinner table and often the teacher's name will come up, or we'll ask our kids about something, and they'll say, Mrs. So and so says, and we'll say, Well, I think you should do something this way, and and we'll get told, Oh no, she says it must be done like this. (laughs) And I often say to (laughs) teachers, You know that you're like God sometimes. You sometimes your opinion holds more weight than ours as a parent, because our children often Mm -hmm. spend more time with their teachers than they do with their parents. But I'd like to say to our financial advisors and brokers and planners that you need to be striving to be that person at our dinner table that you have a seat at our dinner table you have a role to play in our lives not once a year when you come and check in on us but on a daily basis because our financial affairs change all the time and if you think what is the lesson covid has taught us is that disruption is real It can sometimes happen to everybody all at the same time. And that should give us a little bit of a a red light flashing that your role is a daily role. It's not an annual role. And you need to really start believing that and offering value way beyond the annual checkup checking in with your clients and making sure that they're feeling comfortable enough to check in with you. I mean, I'll even drop a a note to my short term insurance broker saying I'm traveling and I'm taking my expensive camera and my expensive binoculars because then he knows where I am and, and what's happening because he's made himself accessible like that. So how accessible you are as a financial planner and broker, has got a lot to do with how much we will open up to you. When you lose somebody, I mean, the amount of occasions I had to prove to service providers that my children were definitely my husband's children and that I was definitely his legal wife and that I had to get police clearance on a number of occasions that I was not a suspect in my husband's murder. You know, all of these were things that my financial advisor had to contend with as well. And he kept saying to me, I'm so sorry, but we can't actually (laughs) progress to the next level without the police giving you clearance that you're not the murderer.
0: But here is that reality, and this reality is about... The relationship. And people, I think, talk about the relationship as if, well, I come and see you once a year. I, I, I sell you stuff. You buy things from me. We have a very nice chat. I might even invite you to a golf day occasionally. And, and we get on very well. But do we have a relationship? What is that Relationship. What Nikki is describing is, is a best friend relationship. It's kind of hard to think of a commercial arrangement between somebody whose job it is to give financial guidance as a deep and personal friendship. And I think if you can achieve that as a financial advisor, you've done something quite remarkable because that is ultimate trust.
2: Yep, absolutely. I always say that... We are in the relationship business more than anything, and everything begins with trust. So we need to get to a position where, first of all, our clients can trust that we've got their best interest at heart. And secondly, is to constantly work on that relationship. Uh, I like what Nikki said earlier about her son buying a car. Um, Nikki wasn't available, but the son was able to contact the broker. That's exactly it. We deal with people's very sensitive information, information that not even their doctors or their lawyers have. We owe it to our clients to get more involved. We need to recognize that clients are individuals, clients are not numbers. You know, it's not about how many policies I've sold, it's about making sure that people are safe people have peace of mind when it comes to their states, their financial affairs.
0: Andalina, let's be honest about this now. You're going to dedicate more time and professional love to somebody who earns you more money than somebody who challenges you constantly, who's always blooming difficult when it comes to policy discussions and price discussions. That's just a natural human response. And I don't know how you as a financial advisor manage to bridge that gap because theoretically you should be treating everybody the same. But I think our human nature dictates that you are going to give more love to those that give you more love.
2: You know, truth be told, in our industry, you never really know who people are. So what I mean by that is this. I may have a client that is a receptionist. Now, I owe it to that client to treat her or him the same way that I would treat the executives. Just because I'm at a certain level today, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to remain at that level. So, if I'm only going to treat my A clients or um, the clients that are bringing us more money, if I'm going to give them more attention and forget about all the other clients, what am I really doing? Am I a financial planner or am I a salesperson? Like I said, this is a relationship business. It's a relationship industry, it's about trust. I need to take care of that client, their children and everybody else because the way I get my clients personally is through referrals. And I believe that referrals are a great marketing tool. If I'm doing a shoddy job with my clients that don't really earn me much income, how am I expecting them to refer me? It boils down to putting people first, knowing that we are in this industry to care for people and to administer their, their financial affairs and so forth. It's not necessarily about the income that we earn, but it's about the people.
0: Let's wrap up with you, Nikki Bush. The relationship with your advisor. What would you have done without it? I mean, it strikes me as... A remarkable relationship and one without which I think you would have struggled even more than you have. I am so
1: grateful that I had this open relationship and that I had five years of building a relationship with my advisor. And I really want to add to what Annalena has just said, and that is that we must always be speaking to the highest potential in our clients, because you don't know who they are going to become. You don't know who they are going to marry. You don't know what's going to go on in their lives, which businesses they're going to build. Everybody was once a beginner. And if we invest in those relationships, as my advisor did, you will reap the rewards. And one of the things that has attracted us to this particular financial advisor and Onelina mentioned word of mouth marketing is that he was recommended via a friend of mine whose husband died of cancer and because he dealt so empathetically with her that's how we landed up having a conversation with him and he interestingly is in a similar life stage to me and has very successfully been a great example of how to raise financially literate children of his own. And he could tell us with his own experience, not because this is a great product, but because of his own experience of financial literacy, of how we could better plan our lives and He could show us his three children, none of which have professional university qualifications. But by 25, were owning their own homes, paying off bonds, had savings, had investments. Now, that is somebody walking their talk. I want to know if my broker, advisor, planner has their own affairs in order. And if they do, then I can trust that person. So trust, relationships, personal example are all really critical for me. And then the service comes with it. And building that relationship, absolutely, that gives me peace of mind, you know, that I can phone somebody up and say, this is what's going on. This is what's changed. Does anything need to change with my plan? And, yes, it's not to say that I have to accept everything he says. I can say that's too expensive. Is there another option? It's to start making money a less scary conversation to have. If you can make financial conversations and protection and policies, et cetera, a little more accessible, you're gonna have better conversations, educate your clients better. And I promise you when they need to buy more cover or a new policy, they're gonna come to you because they trust you bottom line they trust you so it does go back to that so be a good example be a good educator and always speak to the highest potential in every one of your clients just as my financial advisor now is taking my boys under his wing and he is having his own appointments with them separate to me now because they don't have a dad anymore who can do this they've got me their mum and I'm the entrepreneur. And you know what? Sometimes you need a third party. Mm-hmm. You need a third party sell. And I'm not using the sell here as in selling product. He's not selling them any product right now, but he's investing in their future financial literacy. And in turn, if he does a great job, they will invest their money with him. Couldn't have
2: said it better.
0: <laughs> Nikki Bush, thank you very much. The human potential expert Nikki Bush and Honorina Disipi, the Discovery Certified financial advisor if you've enjoyed this conversation then be sure to look out for the rest of our series on all things to do with estate planning next i will once again be chatting to harry joffey we'll be delving deeper into all legal considerations and tax implications around estate planning. It's sure to be an enlightening conversation. We look forward to you joining us for this discussion too. The Estate Planning 101 series, an informative podcast aimed at helping you better guide your clients through the process and is brought to you by Discovery.